0: My name is Adam. I'm one of the elders here at Huntington Community Church. If you brought a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. So, we've been walking through Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, and Matthew's Gospel, the whole point is for you to see Jesus as the King. Uh, Each Gospel takes a different um, bent on who Jesus is, and Matthew's Gospel is trying to get you to understand that Jesus is the King. Last week we talked about there's two kingdoms, there's the kingdom of this world, it's the kingdom of darkness, where you've got the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of light, that's it, there's two kingdoms, and Jesus is saying that not only is he this king, but he's king of everything, that, um, that Satan, as we saw last week when Satan was tempting Jesus in the wilderness. Um, Satan was only allowed to do what God allowed him to do, um, was able to do only what God allowed him to do, and, and so um, this morning we continue in chapter 4, and so let me, let me start in verse 12, and we'll read to the end of the chapter, and hopefully the Lord will um, just change lives this morning through the reading of his word. Verse 12. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. So the he here, this is Jesus. Uh, And the John here, this is not John um, where you see like the gospel of John. This is John the Baptist. Verse 13, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. In the boat was Zebedee, his father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them, and great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Let's pray. Father, I, I ask that our hearts would be open to hear from you. Lord, I pray that you would overcome my uh, limited vocabulary and ways to explain um, the mysteries of Christ. That Christ would call us to follow Him, Lord, help us to, to see that with new eyes this morning. Give us the ears to hear from You. Give us eyes to see uh, just the the richness of this passage. And I pray all this in Christ's name, Amen. Well, this morning, if you are taking notes, um, the big idea or, or main idea of this passage that that I think that Matthew's trying to get us to see is that that this command to follow Jesus requires us to understand who he is and to understand um the the depth of abandonment that Jesus calls us to abandon everything and follow him. Uh, and, and, and so that's that's my aim this morning is for us to examine who Jesus is. You might be new this morning to Christianity. You might have, you, you might have like a Christmas understanding of Jesus. Um, uh, maybe as a child you went to VBS. And so this morning, we just want to make sure we're, we're on the same page. We understand when Jesus says "Follow me, we want to understand who the me is. And then we need to understand what he's calling us to. And it's a radical call that he's calling us to this morning. So let's Start first, just look back at verse 19 and 20, this idea of Jesus. is this, this calling, this invitation, this command to, to follow him. So who is the him? Who is this Jesus? Well, we've been journeying through four chapters so far, and I think through four chapters we can have a good idea of who this Jesus is. So um, back in chapter 1, verse 1, we see a lot about who Jesus is just in that first verse. We see here that he's the son of David, which, which means that he's this king. He's this coming king. He's the king of the kingdom. Uh, that every knee's gonna bow down, that Old Testament says, that 2 Samuel 7 says, that, that this king who's gonna come, he's gonna reign forever. He's gonna be this eternal king. This is this Jesus. We also see here that uh, that he's the Christ. That's not his last name, which is what I used to think. He was Jesus Christ. Like That was his last name. Christ means that he's uh, this anointing one. He's the Messiah. So the entire Old Testament is pointing us to this one who's going to come, this promised child. And, and so it's, it's, it's this one who's going to come and save, redeem the world. That's what Christ means. He's this Messiah. He's this anointed one. And then we also see that he's Jesus. We, we see his name there in, in chapter 1, verse 1. The name Jesus is, uh, is the Greek way of using the Old, um, the old Testament or Hebrew uh, name Joshua. And, and the name Joshua, Jesus means to save, the saving one. And so here right in verse 1, we know that he's the king. We know that he's the Messiah, the anointing one. We know that he is the one who saves. What does he save us from? We see a little later in chapter 1, verse 21, uh, it says that she, uh, Mary, will bear a son, and uh, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So, here, right in the very beginning, chapter 1, we see that, that he's the Savior. And he's not coming to save us from, from, uh, um, from like um, not getting our comfort or, or these idols that we may have. He's coming for a very specific reason. He's coming to save us from our sin, from your sin, from my sin. So he's the saving one. Um, a couple verses later, we, we see that this Savior is not some far off God. In verse 23, we see that he's called Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. So he's not this far off God. That He's, he's near to, to us. He's near to you this morning. He's a close God. He's an intimate God. He's a God that desires a relationship with you. That he, You were designed, you were created to be in a relationship with the creator God. Uh, he's not just some... Being far off, like a lot of other religions would think that God is, that they would think, well, we can't really know God. You can know Him. He knows you intimately. He knows your name. He knows the, the days of your life. He knows when you began and when you're going to end. He knows uh, the number of hairs on your head. He is an intimate God. In chapter 2, we see that uh, when Dustin preached uh, that Sunday morning that these wise men came and they fell down and worshipped him. These wise men, like today we'd call them celebrities. They were famous people. And here they came and they bowed down to Jesus. And so this is an incredible passage for us that we see like these kingdoms. And so they had this incredible kingdom in this world. But yet they knew that they needed to bow down their knee to the king of all kingdoms. And so here, these important men bowed down and worshiped Jesus. So Jesus is someone who is a king, who is this Messiah. He is the Savior. He is intimate. And he is one who is worthy of worship. So he receives our worship. Then we also see in chapter 3 when John the Baptist, who Jesus says, John the Baptist there is no one born of a woman who is greater than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist says about Jesus in chapter 3, he says that we need to prepare the way of the Lord. And so John the Baptist calls Jesus Lord, meaning like he's a king that we bow down to the Lord. Lord means he's over all things. That's what by that title Lord, that's what it means. So he's over all things. And so even John the Baptist, who was the greatest among men, knew his place. John said, I'm not even worthy to hold his sandal. That's how elevated Jesus is. Last week, we saw that Jesus was able to overcome temptation. So he was the new and better Adam, how the first Adam fell to temptation. Jesus, um, he, he stood the test. Not only was he the better Adam, he was also the better son, we saw last week, that, that he was obedient, where the Israelites in the Old Testament, they weren't obedient. Jesus is a better son than the Israelites. And then this morning, as we were reading, we, we see um, in verse 23 of chapter 4, that he comes along and he begins to preach, and he's calling disciples to him, and he's going around and he's healing every disease and every affliction among the people. I mean, did, you, did you catch out as we were reading that this morning? That he's, he's healing people um, who, who are paralyzed. He's healing epileptics, people who are oppressed with demons. He's healing them all. And great crowds begin to follow this Jesus. That he's worthy of all that. It's amazing. You, th- you think about what, what, kind of, what kind of man... What person would, would hate the kind of man that would be this kind to, to heal every disease and every affliction? I mean, think about the day. If there's somebody here in Huntington that, when you were sick, instead of going to the doctor, you just go to this man and you'd have complete healing. I mean, think about that kind of power. And, and, and so people are bringing their sick friends and those who are afflicted. To Jesus, why, why would that kind of man stir up the pot and, and cause people to, to hate him? Why? Because a great crowd began to follow him. And so these kingdoms, they're at war here. And, and this kingdom doesn't like this kingdom because people see how much greater this kingdom is, the kingdom of Christ. And they leave this kingdom and begin to follow Jesus. And these people want to keep their kingdom like it is. And we want people to follow us. And we become a little less important when they begin to follow the kingdom of Christ. So when Jesus says in Matthew 4, 19 and 20, follow me, that's who the me is. That's who Jesus is. Jesus said, follow me. I'm the Messiah. I'm the king of all kings. I created everything. I'm the one who can touch you and heal you. Those of you who are oppressed with demons, I can remove that. I'm the one that all the sins that you've done, I can forget them just like that. I'll remove them. They're wiped away. You're spotless. You're clean. When you repent and follow me, it's interesting here that Jesus, he gives his commands, it's an invitation to, to follow me. And, and yet for a lot of us, we, we don't picture Jesus as the Jesus of Matthew 1 through 4. We picture Jesus like he's some kind of puny peasant beggar, politician. Will you please follow me, please? I mean, that, that's how my evangelism is. That's probably how a lot of your evangelism is, that, that when we get up enough nerve to talk about Jesus, it's like, hey, hey, would you would you mind uh, to follow Jesus? Like, if it's not too big of a deal, like it, it's it's really amazing you get to come to church, church, and, and there's people who there would be kind to you. It's like it's like, what are we doing? This is the King. And he's saying, follow me. He's not some puny, wimpy man begging you like, hey, if you don't mind, can you follow me? I want to do this thing, this, this whole like kingdom. And, and like, if you don't mind, uh, if you get a chance, will you follow me? Jesus doesn't need us. We need him. That's the heart of the evangelism. That we're going out. And and, and we understand that every one of us is in need of this Jesus, this Savior, this King, Messiah. And we need to have that kind of mind when we invite people to follow Him. And just let's just let's just think about this for a moment. That the God of the universe has invited us. That He's looked upon you. And he's saying, hey, hey, I want want you to come, follow me. Are you kidding me? That we get to be a part of that message, that story this morning? That the king is inviting you to be a part of that? And that should get us excited, right? See, some of you are like, yeah. Some of you just got this blank stare, like he's crazy this morning. And I am, I feel like the Lord's, as I'm studying Matthew, I feel like the Lord's like, resaving me because I, i'm guilty of of just like thinking of jesus being this puny person inviting us to his scheme it's not what this is about at all he's inviting you and me rebel sinners to follow him i mean let me put this in context for those of you who've been coming for a while you know me you know that like i love baseball and I love all things New York Yankees, okay? So this is where the Lord's been convicting me. I see some of you shaking your head. I'm going to challenge you to repent later. It's a different sermon. Now, the Yankees right now, they, they got beat, so I know they're out of the playoffs. But they're, like, they're becoming good again, okay? And there's this guy on their team named Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge would probably look me in the eye standing down there. He's this massive man. And Aaron Judge is a great baseball player. And if the Yankees called me and said, hey, would you, uh, would you want to spend, let's say they called me in July, and so there's like another month or so, would you, would you want to spend the next month or so following us around from stadium to stadium, being in the locker room, hanging out with the team? I mean, what do you think my response would be? I'm like, uh, let me talk to my wife. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> Let me, let me just make sure it's clear. Yeah, Olivia, we're good. Yeah, you got the six kids? Okay. <laughs> and, and, and we elevate sports and celebrities, like think of like, maybe your favorite artist uh, or favorite you know movie star. Like if they said, "Hey, you want to follow me for a while and just hang out?" We would be gone. And like, I think about like... In basketball, like the idea, like, like if LeBron chose me, said, hey, I want you to be, come be with me on the Lakers. We're going to do this thing. We're going to start a new team with the Lakers. And you get to be a part of it. Like LeBron James wanted me. Now think about this. Like we get so excited about that stuff. This is the one who spoke everything into existence. This is the one who knows everything about everything. That your heart is beating right now because of him. And he's called you to follow him. Why are we begging anyone? This is an incredible opportunity for us to have boldness with confidence to go out. And invite everybody to be part of this. Uh, I'm just overwhelmed in this. And this is what, I love how he, he begins to choose his team here that we see. And it's not how I would pick a team. 1 Corinthians 1, I guess it's incredible insight. It says, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Who does God, who does Jesus start out by by choosing? Four fishermen. These were just common, ordinary guys. And he walks up to them, and he just says, Hey, guys, follow me. Follow me. Two sets of brothers, Peter and Andrew, James and John follow me, guys. And, and, and we know just by understanding a little bit about first century um, Judaism, we would understand a little bit about these guys. They weren't very well educated. For Jews, from like time they could read and learn, uh, they began to study the first five books, the Torah, and they began to memorize it. Uh, it was very important to them, and that would make the parents proud. They didn't have like, they weren't proud of like, Kids like Little League games, okay? They were proud if their kid could memorize scripture. And, and, and that was how they you know, found joy and like, like, look at my son, look at my daughter. Uh, and so they would really encourage them and help them to memorize the first five books of the Bible. Are you getting that? From like birth to 12, a lot of Jewish kids could, could quote and say the first five books of the Bible. Wow, okay? I think we probably said the bar a little low with our parenting. And then from 12 and up, so like when they become like young men and young women, um, they, they, would, they would move to a different stage of life. And so the young men at this point, um, those that were like really under, not just memorized it, but understood how the law worked, they would begin to like seek after a rabbi and, 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 like, for a parent, they would love for their children, like, a goal for them, like, for most of us, like, parents, and, and I hate this even in my own thinking, like, a goal was, like, you want your kid to be, like, a professional athlete. Uh, for, for this time, it was, like, we want you to be, um, like, a rabbi. That would be so, that would bring such honor to our family. And so they would begin to study Uh, From another rabbi. This is why they would be called disciples. Disciple means student, and so they would find they would go out and find a rabbi uh, that was you know, and they would start like the Harvard. You know, that's where they all want. They want their son to be a part of like that school. So they would find the rabbi who like would be equivalent of teaching at Harvard. If you couldn't make that, then you'd keep find you just keep going until you found one. If you didn't find any rabbi that would take you, and every rabbi would want to have some disciples to pass on their bent or view of the law. So each rabbi had their own little bent on, you know, we think uh, the Sabbath means this. We think obeying your parents means this. And so they would teach their little understanding of the law. So... Once uh, you know, the rabbis would find their disciples, they'd begin to teach it, and he would pass this on to them. So one day they would be able to pass on this rabbi's... So it was very honoring to a rabbi to have like, now five or six students because they're going to make five or six students, who so would make five or six students, and it all come from me. Those who couldn't cut it as a rabbi, would went, they would go and work with their father's trade. So when we pick up in Matthew 4, Jesus comes along and he finds... Um, Peter and Andrew, James and John, and what were they doing in that passage? They were doing their father's business. They were fishermen. That was what their dad did because he couldn't cut it as a rabbi. And so now his kids couldn't cut it as a rabbi, and so they're just fishermen. And so here, this is exactly who God wants to use in this passage. He wants to use the least of these. He took these ordinary men, uneducated men, And change the entire world. You were here today because of the influence of these these men. When did he do this? Well, Ephesians 1 is just so encouraging. Ephesians 1 says this. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now, I love this. Because sometimes we think God chose us because I'm, I'm so good. Like LeBron James chose me because of how great of a basketball player I am, right? No. See, he would pick me very much how God picks us, just to prove a point, that he doesn't need anybody else. And so that's what God does. God picks those who are the least in the world to shame the wise. And so here we see that God chose us when? Before the foundation of the world. So if God created the world here, way back here, he chose us. So that we, couldn't, we could not we never say, yeah, God needs me because I'm so great. All the great things that I'm doing, that's why God chose me. He picked me because I'm doing all these great things for him. And without me, I don't know if this thing would ever happen. That's not why he chose you. How many good things have you done before the foundation of the world? Zero. Let me also put a spin on like this, because some of you come in, and right now you feel like you're not worthy. You feel like there's no way this holy, pure God would want you to be a part of anything because of all the stuff you've done, all the sin. There's things that you're just so guilty of. Let me ask you this. How much bad stuff, how much sin have you done before the foundation of the world? Zero. So God's not choosing you Because you've done so many great things, and he's not choosing you because you've done too many bad things, he can't use you. God is choosing you because of his good grace and mercy and kindness, because of the great love with which he loved you. And he's calling you for a purpose, and we see this purpose. A little later in Jesus' ministry, in John 15, we see this. He says, you do not choose me, he's talking to the disciples, but I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And so here Jesus is calling these disciples to him. But it's not just, notice he's not calling them. He doesn't say, I will make you a good church member. Follow me and I will make you moral. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He's calling you to a purpose, that your life should bear fruit. If you are a follower of Christ, you should be able to look in your life. Others should be able to look into your life and see fruit. And I love that he takes the least of these and that he's able to take us and he's able to to do a great work to where there's fruit. People are astonished. The same guys, look at this, Acts 4. So Jesus dies, took on the sin, he raises from the dead, he ascends back to heaven. And in Acts 4, uh, these, these men are going out and, and there's just something about them. They're just, they're just on fire for the Lord. And in Acts 4, look at this. It says, now when they, so this is the Jews, others around, witnesses, they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men. They were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. All okay, right, gut check this morning. Do people know that you have been with Jesus? Do your coworkers, do your neighbors, they look at your life and are they just astonished? And they go, man, I can tell that she has been with Jesus. There's something different about her. The way they live, the way they talk, the way they treat others, the way things just go over them, they're not anxious and worried about everything. They seem like they just have something deeper. What is it about that person that they've been with Jesus? I love this. They were just uneducated common men. I don't know how many of you find that comforting, but as just a a redneck from rural West Virginia, I find that incredibly comforting that he can take somebody like me, good old hillbilly, and do something great with my life. I mean, I grew up in a trailer park with two parents that just, I'm, I, I, my wife just, she starts to cry when I tell her this. It was just, growing up, my parents, like, they never read books. Like, books weren't important to us. Like, my family, they worked hard, put food on the table, and that was it. I mean, they, they weren't like, hey, let's make sure we get good grades and, and shoot for great things. It was just, hey, let's just get through the day. And, and, and the Lord has given me a desire to... To know him and to study scripture and I've had the privilege of, 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 of going to seminary and, and I just think, man, like here, Peter and John, they didn't go to seminary. But there's something about them, they had a boldness that people knew that they were Jesus. You don't have to go to seminary. You could be uneducated, common man or woman and do great things for God. Because what God's after is your obedience, your faithfulness. And that's what's going on here. That that He said, I'm gonna take them and, and, and and I'm gonna make them fishers of men. I love this that He doesn't he doesn't say I'm gonna make you catchers of men, but it's fishers of men. See, you're not called to catch men and women. That's the Holy Spirit's role. He catches. You just do the fishing. And I think that I've been far too much like uh, I remember growing up as a kid. On Saturday mornings, uh, I would turn on ESPN, and there was this, there was fishing shows, and the Bill Dance Gone Fishing, and I would watch Bill Dance Go Fishing. And I think there's far too many Christians that we're just watching fishing, we're not actually going fishing, and we're just called to be obedient. We're not called to have the results, and I love getting those texts this week from uh, the How to Share Your Faith. Man, like, I was so encouraged this week. We did one class this week on how to share your faith. We just started this six-week class, and um, I just, you just challenge you guys to share, you know, use that tool, the three-circle tool, on uh, just with three people this week, and send me those stories. And it was so encouraging getting those stories. Uh, and it was amazing how, like, once I started sharing the stories, it seemed like I got more in, because you guys were encouraged by each other. But I didn't get any story, and maybe this happened, I just don't know, where any of you were able to, like, to invite someone to Christ, and they responded, and you got to pray with them. But so many of you just got to be obedient. You, you fished, and that's all God calls you to do. It's just fish. And, and, and that happened this week. Man, I was so proud of you guys. So I want to encourage you, come back out tonight. If you, if you didn't come last week, you can still come. Uh, it just, it's an incredible tool to help you just gain confidence to share your faith. And, and so here, Jesus just says, I'm going to make you a fisher of, of men. And, and so fishing means that we're just attempting, that we're just casting, and, uh, and let Jesus... Um, be in control of of the results because here's the thing we have a sovereign God who's 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 in control of everything I mean everything and we see from scripture that no one comes to the father except who who, like God brings draws to him so he begins to woo us somebody um, that he convicts and says hey share your faith with that person he's orchestrating all of this together and, and and i love that he begins with fishermen and so these are professional fishermen and there's a couple times in the gospel where they go out to fish and they don't catch anything for example luke five let's look at this together in luke five here's one of these examples and when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. So this is Peter. This is the same one who he, we were talking about. This is one he calls. And uh, in verse 5, and Simon Peter answered, master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down your nets. And so this is classic Peter. He, he like, he's like, complains, but then he obeys. Lord, we, we've done this all night. But then he's like, okay, I'll do it. And, and so they've been fishing and, and all night, you imagine how exhausting that would be and, and, and they caught nothing. So he's like, Jesus, I'm, I'm a professional fisherman. I know what this is like. And If we haven't caught any by now, we're not going to catch any. But I know you're the king, you're the Messiah, so I'll do it. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. Jesus even controls the fish. And it's just a reminder to them. he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And there's little, little moments throughout their ministry where he reminds them like, hey, even that fish you just caught, <laughs> I gave that to you. And uh, after he um, is raised from the dead, he does this again. Um, But I love that Peter doesn't complain, and and the next time he does it, he doesn't complain. Uh, He's just obedient. And, And I love this picture that God is sovereign, and he's just calling us to be obedient, that I will make, that, what that even shows me is that we're not good at this. If we were good at fishing for men, he wouldn't have to make us fishers of men. So we need to just get over ourselves. I'm terrible at evangelism. Right? I'm just confessing that. The last person that I got to pray to receive Christ was someone who, who was basically begging me for it. Those are the easy ones. I don't feel like I have the gift of evangelism, but I need to be obedient and just fish. And I'll leave the catching up to him. And I love, in, in this passage, show you he calls. He says, "Follow me. I will. I will make you fishers of men." Immediately, they left their nets. I love that. Immediately, they just left. I mean, they were thinking about this. You're at work. This is what they. That's their work. That's their job. And Jesus comes along. They it seems like they don't know who this man is, and it seems like they're close enough to the shore, or maybe right on the shore. And Jesus says, "Hey, follow me." I'll make you fish as a man. And something in his disposition, in his voice, in their spirit, they were just like, okay. And he just left everything and went and followed him. Immediately. You know, they didn't give the Baptists. well, let me, uh, let me pray about it. You know, that's what we, Jesus calls, maybe, maybe it's mission field. Maybe it's calling you to, to, to seek vocational ministry, and, and, and there's just these moments where we're just like, well, let me, let me pray about it. Or maybe, maybe it's, there's somebody in your class right now, or somebody that you work with, and, and, and you know that they're lost, and you feel like, man, they're broken, and I've got this message that will help them, and, and I need to tell them, but oh, let me pray about it. Let me just pray, like, God, if you, really, if you really want me to tell them about you, then maybe make the lights go out in the room. The power will go out. Or the teacher will tell us, okay, uh, no class next week. And you're just praying for these some obscure things. Listen, he's already told you to tell them. You don't have to pray about being obedient to things he's already told you to do. We just need to do it. We, now, don't misunderstand me. There are very important things that we need to pray about. Like if a guy comes up to you that you know and says, hey, will you marry me? You need to pray about that, okay? Don't just say, well, sure, I guess. <laughs> pray about that. Seek counsel. But when God clearly tells you to do something, those things aren't negotiable. We don't, we don't need to... Pray about those things. We just need to be obedient and do it. And so they immediately go. And then we see that, that they left their nets, their boats, and their family. It's risky. It's risky to follow Jesus. Extremely risky. And, and that's where I, I... This is one of those messages where a pastor, preacher who's really gifted could, could guilt you in to following Jesus, but I want you to count the cost this morning. I don't want to trick you and mislead you because what the world doesn't need is a bunch of people coming forward and praying a prayer and then going out and being just as unchanged as they were when they came in. The world needs to see real, authentic, repentive followers of Christ who have counted the cost and go, Lord, you are worth every one of them. Let's go after it, Lord. And so he, Jesus challenges them. He, he, he says, follow me. And when we see them, they're, they're leaving their nets. That's their occupation, their jobs. They leave uh, their boats so or property, things, materials. And they, and they leave, <laughs> they just left their dad. I mean, I love to have the, the I, I wish there was more here. I want to talk to James and John's dad that day. Hey, hey, where, where are you guys going? And he just left. It's risky to follow this Jesus. Now, I think what we've done is we've made this Jesus into some kind of American dream Jesus. That's not very risky. That's, how uh, I can kind of be all about him, but not... That's not this Jesus. He's calling you to let go everything. Radical abandonment. Surrender it all. And you come follow him. So what does that mean? It means that your job, your stuff, money, it all belongs to Jesus. It's not yours when you come to follow him. That's why people don't like Jesus. People want to follow the Jesus of, hey, come follow me, I'll give you stuff. But when Jesus calls you to come and give away stuff, (laughs) never mind, I didn't know that's what you meant. But that's this Jesus. Luke 14, Jesus looks at his disciples and he's getting middle, near the end of his ministry, and he says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. I mean, just that verse alone, bear cross, okay? Cross is bad. We all, same page, right? And he's saying, the suffering that's going to come by following me, you've got to be willing to bear the cross if you're going to be my disciple. For which of you designed to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. And so here's this idea of counting the cost. It's silly for the man to think about building something, get about halfway through and go, oh man, I don't have enough to finish this. And Jesus is saying, don't come halfway after me. I want all of you, so don't. Come after me if you think I'm just going to make all your problems go, go away. Don't come after me if you think I'm going to give you the best job. You're an easy, fa- easy family. I'm going to fix your kids. Count the cost because there's a cross along the way. Matthew 10 gives us more encouragement to this risk. Jesus says, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Oh, that's, that's good news, right? So be wise as serpent and innocent as doves. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying that this life is not your kingdom. And you've got to have your priorities in order that Christ, it's his kingdom, and we've got to lay everything aside Give it all, it belongs to him. John 15. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. So here's this this idea that if Jesus... By the way he lived his life, he's going to be persecuted. That he's saying that in some way, that if you're obedient to him, then you will be persecuted. Let's just, again, let's just evaluate our lives this morning. Now, I I love that we live in this country where we're able to share our faith. There are countries right now where there are Christians who are imprisoned. Some may even die today for standing up for their faith. I don't feel that this morning. I feel like I can go out and share my faith. But I definitely feel persecution. I know there's certain things I can talk about that I know that when I begin to speak about them, and my goodness, if you begin to type them on social media, you will get blasted. Things that God has created. That when you go to speak against them, that you will be persecuted. Things like gender. Things like marriage. Marriage. You will face persecution. That's part of it. Matthew 16. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Part of this is we have to deny ourselves, that we leave everything, that everything belongs to Christ. He is the King, we are his servants. So we immediately follow him, we leave everything, it all belongs to him, our professions, our materials, our money, our family, that Jesus is number one. We must count the cost, and it begins with repentance. That's how he started his message. Before he called them in chapter 4, he, he, the first command we see in chapter 4 from Jesus uh, is in verse 17. It's not follow me. I will make you fishers of men. It's repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the beginning of becoming a follower of Christ. Is repentance, and that's what you saw with these disciples. Repentance means leaving and going in a different direction. So they they were all focused with their father's business, which would one day be their business and you saw their repentance because they they left that and they began to follow Jesus, your life should look different because of repentance. You're chasing after different things. And Let me just end this morning where we started with going, this whole idea that this king, this Messiah, this savior, this this, um, Emmanuel, that he's calling you, He's saying, hey, I want you to follow me. And and just how, like, when I think about Aaron Judge, if Aaron Judge said, hey, hang out with me, follow me, and why would I follow the judge of the Yankees but not follow the judge of the world? Like, that's so silly. And and this idea of counting the cost. I I used this quote during the summer when we were going through our um, Genesis series from missionary Jim Elliott. Jim Elliot says this, missionary who died, um, I believe Ecuador, he lost his life um, to some cannibals. Uh, He went there with the team, and they just laid it all out. He left his family, his children. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's ultimately what Jesus is calling you to See, we, we, we love this kingdom, and, and, it, and it's silly like that we're trying to build this kingdom, this kingdom of this world and all this stuff, because we can't keep it. And the truth is you're really never going to make this exchange until you count the cost and you see Christ as the treasure. Um, in Matthew 13, last verse, Jesus gives this parable, and he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his jewel, he goes and sells all that he had, um, all that he has, and buys that field. That, that's, that's salvation. That's repentance. That's what it looks like to follow Jesus, is that you look at your, your stuff, and you go, man, I've got a lot. And then you see this treasure, and you look at what you have, and you look back at the treasure, you look back at what you have, and you're like, ah, that is, that's much greater than this. That's, that's my testimony. I was a junior at Marshall um, by, by years, not by credits, uh... And I, I loved my life. Um, I had no problems in my life at all, in my thinking. Um, had great friends. Everything was going great for me. Was living the great American college dream. Had an apartment, a little house apartment, lived with my best friends. Um, through great parties. Our house was fun place to hang out. Involved in intramurals. Um, and somehow I stumbled on his treasure. And when I say somehow, I mean the Lord just revealed himself through some faithful people who were being um, faithful to him. My, I had some relatives that shared their faith with me. Um, and they told me about Jesus. And I didn't, I didn't repent then. Um, so, they didn't get, they didn't have the privilege of leading me to Christ, but it, it made me trip over the treasure. And I looked down and saw Christ for the first time in my life, really, the Christ, and began to look at my life and look at him and went, oh, I love my friends, I love my life, but this is awesome. And I'm willing to risk my friends, which I did. Um, we don't have the same relationship we did, um, but it I don't regret that at all. Everything that I've received is far better, just like this man. He didn't look back at his old stuff that he sold and go, man, I still wish I had that. He's got the treasure. Do you have the treasure this morning? See, there's a, there's an invitation here. I, I can't help to... You know, invite. I mean, that's what this passage is doing. So this morning, I want to end just an invitation to you. First, I want you to evaluate your life, examine what's your treasure. Are you like James and John, Peter and Andrew, like you're busy with your life? You got this going on, it's real cool. You got your career, your path, your stuff. But then you saw with with those first four disciples, the treasure came walking along and they looked at the boat and their stuff and, and they were pretty good. I mean, they, they, were, they were doing okay for themselves. And they looked and they went, forget this, I'm chasing after Jesus and all the risk. Think about that risk. They had no idea where they were going to sleep, how he's going to feed them, but it was worth it. Jesus is worth every bit of it. What are you holding on to this morning? He's inviting you right now, you, here in Huntington, West Virginia, to be a part of this intimate relational aspect of God and man. And he wants you to be obedient, follow him. So there's a call this morning to be obedient. And the first call of obedience is repentance. Maybe you've never repented, maybe you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. Today's the day. If you want to follow Christ today, I encourage you right in front of you. There's like a green card, a connect card on the back. Just write, I want to follow Jesus. Put your name, put it in that box in the back there and we will connect with you this week and we will help you learn what it means to follow Christ. Today's the day. Don't wait. Today's the day. You might not have tomorrow. There's no promises of tomorrow. Today's the day of salvation. I'm going to invite the band to come back this morning. We're going to keep singing. And um, you be obedient this morning. Look at him as the treasure. Father, this morning, I pray that you would uh, help us to see you high and lifted up. That you are the king of all kings. And um, it is silly for us to cling to the scraps we have that we're chasing after in light of what you offer. That we get to be with you forever and ever and ever. And so Lord, I pray that you would change hearts today. That you would help someone to see You as treasure, maybe for the first time, just as you were very kind and gracious to me back in nineteen ninety-eight. Reveal yourself, Lord. Draw men and women to you. Lord help us to be obedient and bold this week as we go out and fish for men and for women. May that be a mark of this church that we love to tell people about you, that we're not ashamed to invite people to follow the King of all kings, that you're not some puny, weak person begging people, ashamed to invite them to follow you. Lord, give us a boldness. pray that you would change your hearts, Lord, to love you more. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.